Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Podcasters Unleashed. We're a group of podcasters from all around the world, and we are back once again with another discussion. Today, we are answering the question about the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and we want to know, are they fantasy or reality? And maybe you've never heard of them. If you've never heard of them, stay tuned, because we're going to have a discussion around them, and we're going to open up a can of worms, I think, today in today's episode. And Matilda's got them for us. She's going to show them in the screen in just a second. And before that, our lovely co-hosts who are joining me today are going to introduce themselves. Over to you, Matilda. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of Coffee with Matilda, a journey to self. We try to find ourselves, love ourselves, and come out of adversity stronger than before. Over to you, Simon. Hi, I'm Simon, Simon Rushton. Uh, my, my podcast is Taxi Chronicles. I interview people in the taxi. I've got over 600 episodes. We publish at 8 a.m. every morning. They're short, they're five to 20 minutes. So have a listen. It's got a wide range of people. Over to you, Howler. Hi, guys. So I'm the host of the podcast, Women in Stories, where I share real stories from real women across the globe. So tune in for a new episode this week. Over to you, Victor. Unmute yourself, Victor. Thank you, Hannah. I am the host, I'm Victor Sio, the host of the Aspire Entrepreneurs podcast, where I interview entrepreneurs and we discuss their strategies on how to, like, Dish the nine to five towards a lifestyle of freedom. Over to you, Carla. And my podcast is the Wonder and Wellbeing podcast, where we talk about everything to do with education and wellbeing. And tonight's topic is a wellbeing topic. In fact, it's all about wellbeing, um, not just wellbeing of human beings, but also the wellbeing of the planet and the animals and everything else in between. So if you watch the news or if, even if you try and avoid the news, you can't get away from the situation that's happening globally. Um, even in the last few weeks, we've had earthquakes in Haiti. We've had the ongoing situation in Afghanistan, which has taken a turn for the worst in the last few weeks, if it could have got any worse. We've also got developments going on in the US at the moment with hurricanes, which are causing devastation. And we've got the ongoing situation with the pandemic. And all the other things that are going on in our local communities all over the world, there's nowhere that's exempt from all of these kinds of issues that affect well-being. So you might be forgiven sometimes for thinking that we're not making progress as human beings, or we make progress in one area and just when we seem to get ahead, things get worse in another. Apparently, we have these UN Sustainable Development Goals, which cover all of the topics that might be causing us concern around the world and Matilda's putting them up on the screen for us at the moment there are 17 goals and Matilda's going to give us a bit of a summary about what the goals are all about in case you've not heard of them before Matilda great so um in uh, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, adopted by all United Nations members in 2015, provides a shared blueprint for peace and prosperity for people and the planet, now and in the future. And its heart are the 17, what you see now, uh, 17 Sustainable Development Goals, which are an urgent call for action for all countries 
developed and developing in a global partnership. They recognize that ending poverty and other deprivation must go hand in hand with strategies that improve health and education, reduce inequality and economic growth, all while uh, tackling uh, climate change and working to preserve our oceans and forests. Wow, thank you, Matilda. Now, that sounds like a huge, huge undertaking. And the question we have to ask as human beings living on the planet, these goals are determining our future, they're determining the activities that are happening, is are they realistic? And if so, how do we achieve them? Um, and is it up to organisations like the UN to determine that? Um, hello to our audience members who are joining us today. We've got a question for you. Um, have you heard of the UN Sustainable Development Goals? Um, because when I asked a few people around me last week when we first brought this discussion up, a lot of people hadn't heard about it. But who had heard about it was my 10-year-old son who has been taught about it at school. Um, and actually, I first heard about it as a teacher as well, um, where I had to teach about it in school. Um, so if you're part of an NGO, if you work for a, any charitable organization or anything in the community, well-being, education, health, perhaps you have heard of it. Maybe you've heard of it referred to as SDGs. Um, you may have read that in some of your policy documents, as Matilda talked about the 2030 vision. A lot of countries have a 2030 vision. And in there, these goals are often referred to as SDGs. So they are affecting you. These goals are affecting you, even if you haven't heard about them. So can we read the comments from the audience at the moment? <clears throat> yes, we have. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me for my if I'm pre, uh, if I'm mispronouncing your name. George Finkelman, yes, George Finkelman, hello. And Danielle Oyugi is saying, hello, Simon, how are you? And the team, I would love to join this discussion. Thank you, and ah, guess who we have? We have Sasha Pakarian here, it says, this subject is just the most important one, okay. Okay, all right. Hi, Daniel. <laughs> Awesome. So to our audience members who are joining us here, the question to you is, have you heard about these goals before? Um, tell us what you know about them. Um, and if you haven't heard about them, why do you think you haven't heard about them? And to my lovely co-host, I've got a question to kick us off as well is, are you optimistic? As podcasters, we like to get involved in discussions about all sorts of things. We're a bit busybodies, aren't we? So <laughs> here we are having a discussion about global issues today. Are you guys optimistic when you hear about these goals? So 17 goals. Uh, Howler, tell us, Miss Millennial. <laughs> you didn't start with me because you know my answer. But I think it's a, it's a great vision of hope for humanity. Uh, it's not uh, the reality because it does not reflect it. But I think um, each one of us, they have a different path. We need different paths. And uh, a lot of countries that don't have enough support to uh, make this vision uh, come true. So I don't think for me it's a reality, but it's a great hope for humanity. Okay. And do you see the issues that you face as an individual reflected in these goals? Well, I mean, there are a lot of uh, a lot of issues there uh, that a lot of people, even around me, they are affected by it. Um, and all these 17 uh, issues that we see, it's still there. It's not going to to, to move. And uh, I think we 
each one of us has experienced one of these 17, uh, 17 issues. I mean, uh, we could be in poverty or we could be in hunger or we could face a problem with health and well-being and, and we could see that it does affect us. And um, yes, it's important to, to talk about these, uh, these indicators. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Victor. Victor, you're always globetrotting back and forth between the UK and Africa, and Africa's got quite an interesting relationship with the UN. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I will second. I, I will second what uh, what Hala just um, said because um, with the statistics, the old beautiful flowcharts presentation that is being that is being done online it is absolutely different from what's on the ground the reality on ground you see when it comes to africa and the un i think um i don't know i won't use the word that i need to use to like describe the relationship but it is it needs to improve on the un part because when we talk about the 17 it's in the 17 goals, so the 17 wishes are mainly mainly targeted towards Africa or developing countries. Because if you just six hours flight difference, you see different world. You, you when, when you're dropping down in, in Africa, you see like a whole strip of maybe some dark, there's a dark like darkness. But immediately you cross from you cross from Morocco. Then you pass through Spain, you see the beautiful light, lighting of the landscape of Spain from, from the sky, you'll be like, wow, it's like Christmas. So it just it's just why? Why? It boils down to energy, but I won't go into that right now. It boils down to energy anyways. So which which is being controlled by I don't know the multinationals who in turn are in in I would say that are very that are very close to the UN that can actually do something that can actually support this government and it is it needs to improve let me not say it's heartbreaking but it needs to improve the relationship between Africa and the UN needs to be improved um okay, we have a lot of comments yeah we have go ahead <laughs> okay so we have uh, Akram is the first person answering the question uh, he's saying, my first comment, not all the glitters are gold. Akram, it's very nice to have you back. Um, and then he's answering, the theories and sustainable development goals are very excellent as ideas, but at the level of implementation, they face great obstacles for many reasons. The most important one, which is dishonesty of the implementers, especially when the goals of sustainable development conflict with their economic interests, both on the personal level for the owners of the capital and companies, or at the level of state leaders. Very true. And Sasha Serge is saying, always interested in this kind of subjects. Bravo. <laughs> Energy is the reason why we are 8 billion on this planet. Energy is just everything. Energy is economy and life. Energy is the universe. Ooh. Sasha is the energy. <laughs> and then he's answering the problem is the communication about it is a fairy tale very far from the science vision. It's uh, more a political view, okay? 
Thank you for sharing. Any uh, uh, audience, please answer the question. If you feel like it, no, answer it. You feel like it. <laughs> All right, Simon, we had some interesting comments there. Have you got any responses to any of those comments? Um, to be honest, I was just going to come with my own point of view. <laughs> to be honest, I think that um, I'd say something to what Victor said. I believe that people need to, as nations, as people, even small communities, need to sort out their own issues. I don't think anything should be relied on the UN because the UN is always an external body to most of the world. So their agenda is, is not one boot fits all or one hat fits all. Everybody's different. My needs and my kids' needs are coinciding with my beliefs and my cultural ways and understandings and even the climate and, you know, the way I do things in life. Um, so, yeah, I don't think the UN should be involved and I think governments and people need to count, make accountability. And I personally believe if, if you're going to sort out your house, you need to ask the visitors to leave if you've got problems. You don't do it with the visitors there. This is embarrassing. And they could cause more problems than things. So I personally, if I was a government, let's say somewhere in Africa, I'd just say kindly to all the countries who are known to have a bad history, bad guests, please leave and take your embassies and your high commissions with you. We're going to shut down from you for at least... Let me finish, please. Um, we're going to shut down for at least 10 to 15 years or however long needed to sort ourselves out. Because always other countries you could do business with and sort, help help you to sort your things out without a hidden agenda. But over to you, Victor. Yeah, this is this is the UN and they, they made a wish list. Yep, I understand that. To, to agree to, so they agree. Yeah, you, can, yeah, yeah. you can exit that. You, you may be a country who signed into that, but you can exit. Do you know how many times the Chinese have left the UN and come back? It's ridiculous. They do what they want to do. So there's nothing stopping you, especially if you've got natural resources and all the rest of it, from um, just executing. Uh, yeah, the DRC, they, they should do that for a start. Gaddafi tried that, and, um, you know, uh, let's move well, on. He, yeah, he tried something else, which is like trying to start his own <laughs> currency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I applaud him for. I have lots yeah. of love for him, but um, that's another conversation. But, um, Matilda, what are your thoughts? Um, I think if you look at this list again, I would feel it's like Alice in Wonderland. It's nothing. Uh, I mean, you cannot um, make happy. You cannot make the doctors happy, the economists happy, the feminists happy, the people who want to have water happy. You cannot do everything at the same time. I think um, it is not a very uh, it's a fantasy wish list um and i hope that i mean i wish that this is going to happen but i don't think it's possible a because it's a lot of elements at once and we're not even educating people from a young age to take uh responsibility for this element so i don't know how we can uh do it in um in less than 20 years uh, it's not possible. Uh, 
just to jump in there, well, I think we've got a lot of comments. I don't know if you want to read yeah. the comments, but I'm going yeah, to yeah. say something about sustainability. Go on. Yes, there's a lot of comments. So um, let's hear. Um, Akram is saying, I agree with Sasha. And Anders Cardell, uh, good to have you back. The widgets threat against human survival is short-sighted, irresponsible actions, often driven by ruthless profit. Biggest, he's saying. And then he's saying, when it comes to wars, when it comes to the environment, and so on. Yes. Back to you, Carla. Okay, so well, I want to get into some of the the actual areas because we said before at the beginning there are 17 areas and we, we haven't got time tonight to cover all 17, but we're going to look at some of the key areas, some of the areas that we appear to have making massive uh, advancements with and also some of the areas that we're still struggling with. So we're going to go over to Victor just for a minute to talk about industry and innovation because we, we can see that. So that's one of the biggest changes. That's one of the things that we could probably say we are excelling in. Um, but are we excelling in it everywhere? Victor, what do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure at the moment if we are excelling everywhere because if you, if you kind of juxtapose, look at the UK, the bedrock of the UK is small, small businesses small and medium scale enterprises, which which in turn is, if you look at just the pandemic just now, people that were actually affected were the day traders with the small businesses. And those small businesses, they live on a daily, daily, daily hustle. So whatever they do today is what, what, what comes to them tomorrow. Now, the backbone of everything that is going on within the within industry, within infrastructure, all these are sitting on top. What Sasha said: energy. Without energy, in 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 Africa, the only, the only there are about four countries that are in the top one hundred percent in Africa, which is Morocco when it comes to energy supply, Morocco, Algeria, um, Egypt, and Tunisia. The rest, they are struggling. Even the biggest economy in Africa, Nigeria, is at about 50% with 200 million people. You get why the lowest one is, is Chad, Republic of Chad and South Sudan, the youngest country in the world. But without energy, nothing, it, 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 it is an uphill battle. Even to have your own, your, your small barber shop, you have to rely on alternative source of energy which is not sustainable, is the generator. So it's a digital generator, the petrol generator, it is not sustainable. Solar panel, it is bloody expensive because the it is gonna be a challenge for industries to like kick off. Because if you want to go into mega production, mega this, you need to actually have take um take Dango uh, cement refinery, they have to like build their own power plant for them to be sustainable, which is still not sustainable. It is not that green, green, green anymore because it uses diesel, it uses gas, it uses fossil fuel. But when it comes to industrialization, I think we have a long, 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 long way to go to actually achieve this, the UN wish list. We have a long way to go. 
if they are serious about it, they should try to make it legally binding, which is not. If they try to make it legally binding, so okay, let's work on, on strategies to make sure and ways to support you legally. You get make it legally binding, then add make your support to be legal as well. And the MD, the what was it called? The multinationals that are operating in this environment, they should also sign a contract or they should sign an agreement that they will follow these processes as well. And even for a country like Nigeria, the when it comes to energy, it is on the it's what they call a no no um it's not it's not it's not on the you can't just build a power plant. It needs to go through the federal government and the bureaucracy is just too much. So I think this needs to be looked into seriously. Yeah, we've got a, a statistic there, Matilda's showing us now all of the images that we're showing you here on the screen in today's episode come from the UN SDG website, which we will post the links for you in the description and also here on the screen. Um, and we've got this here where it says 789 million people around the world lack access to electricity. So I think that relates to what you're talking about there, Victor. Um, and also what we know is a lot of those people um, that lack access to electricity, it's in particular parts of the world, it's concentrated, as you're saying, in certain areas and not in others. So there's a huge inequality. Matilda, can we have some of the comments as well? You're muted, Matilda. Yes, we have a lot of comments. George is saying the important thing is to keep inflation under control. If not, no economic plan nor development goals will ever be accomplished. Argentina, my native country, is the sample of lack of inflation control that keep sinking it for less than 100 years right now. If inflation is not controlled, absolutely nothing will work. Thank you, George. And then we have Anders Cardell. They should put taxes on Chinese products as climate compensation. And they're saying inequality is tearing the world apart. He's saying again, 1% owns 80 to 90%. Anderson says again, this comes from an idea that some people's wealth can be quest and in question can be questioned that's what and then uh, you can go ahead and we have a couple of other more uh, okay. yeah also, we have a lot of comments uh, thank you all for your comments and your interaction it's obviously a, a topic that everybody's passionate about how let you know education plays a big part in this doesn't it how how what are your thoughts in relation to education um in general with the topic but also what what did, does the data show about education and what's happening You're muted. Yes, when I was looking for the major key indicators in the SDGs, they talks about poverty, which is the first one. And one major cause also for poverty is the lack of education. Uh, and it's one that could lead also to poverty uh, in, in major areas in, uh, in a large part of the world. So, um, I think lack of education could be uh, could be harmful for a lot of countries. 
And um, when I see, for example, uh, the first SDG, which is poverty, uh, a, lot, a lot of countries now, due to COVID, uh, they have gone to extreme poverty. Uh, for an example, uh, Lebanon, for example, uh, half of the population now uh, are living below the poverty line. And uh, the country is heading to complete collapse if actions are not taken over. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's my uh, point about lack of education relating to poverty. Just to jump in there, when we talk about education, there's a certain kind of arrogance that we feel that everybody must know how to read and write. And why I say this is because my time living and traveling throughout certain parts of Africa, certain parts of the world, there's people who live a nomad life. There's people who live in very small pockets, tucked away, and they're very happy. They have no bills. They have no things. All they need, really, apart from healthcare, if they get sick, and they usually have a natural way of dealing with things to a certain degrees, is water and things like that. And to come to someone and say, no, you must know how to read and write, and you must know how to do this, and then you must incorporate yourselves with us. It's like, really? Is that what it is? And this is where I go back to the UN when they say, oh, we've got one thing that fits all. Because some people like living as they are. They're very happy. They're very content. They don't want to live with lots of people. And even in England, we have the people who want to live in a very small villages and don't want to be part of the big city unless they need health care. <laughs> but back to you, Carla. Matilda, what are your thoughts? You had some information about the education, didn't you? Yes, I have. Uh, and I want to show it to you here right now. It's uh, very, actually, um, it's very sad what's happening in the world. And um, as you can see, like globally around 5.5 million more girls than boys, they come out of primary school. Uh, and this is the, uh, the number that we founded on 2018. So it's I mean, I'm I'm very big in this topic because for me it's like, how can you have powerful women and girls in the world if you don't have the right education? I think this goal is very important. Is it sustainable or not? I don't know. It's important because it's ensure inclusive and quality education for all and promote lifelong learning. And why does education matter? Because education enables upward socioeconomic mobility, and it's a key to escape poverty. Uh, and education helps to reduce inequality as well. Uh, a man that is educated is more likely to be less than um, abusing, for example, women um, or minorities. I mean, again... Hitler, just, Stalin, um, they were educated. But, I could go on. Genghis Khan. But, I, the list could go on. That's not true. <laughs> but still, but still education, but still, Simon, education helps people to understand and maybe to read some books to be more aligned with reality of the world. If you cannot read and write, how can you be uh, in touch with the world? And how can you learn and uh, make yourself better as a person? Okay. Well, sorry, there's a couple. All right, to respond to some of those points there. 
I don't, I'm not, I'm not advocating against education. But what I am saying, some people have, a, people have a right to choose to live as they've been living if they're in a village. And just because you're educated doesn't mean you're not going to abuse women, children or other people. There's many people around the world who take liberties. And that's it's all less likely. So no, not even less likely, Matilda, because but, greed. When you're educated, you understand about finance and personal gain and you become more greedy. That's very but, true. But if at you the compare... same time, Sorry? But at the same time, Simon, if you can read and write, you can start reading books and yeah. uh, you know, indulge your yourself to some novels and some... Uh, I don't know, some nice books that is out there, then can you realize, okay, there are different lives out there. Even if you don't have TV, but you can re you can picture yourself in that kind of a reality. And it helps to change people's perspective in life. I don't, I don't argue you that it's not changing your perspective, but it doesn't guarantee or really influence the fact that you're not going to abuse people. If you want to abuse other people, you're going to and, and I stress my point again, that people have a right not to be educated. There's people who are happy as they are. I remember in Kenya, this man nearly killed me, but he was happy with his 150 camels, walking around the, the arid land, doing his thing. He was happy. So he was he, happy you know, to not get education? Sorry? He was happy to not read and write? Yeah, he was happy because anybody upset him, he killed them, and he went on about his business. He was totally happy. See, there's something, there's something that I need to just uh, try, to, try to understand. Is I think that one that statement is very, is very blanket. You just like covered too many things. Read and write. Whose language? Thank you. That's a good point. <laughs> That's a really I mean, good point. I mean, I don't know. Read and write your own even language. Yeah, so if you read and write your own native language and you can't read and write English, does that mean you're not educated? Thank you. No, but but it's not about well, English. It's about knowing well, how to read not, and write. There well, are yeah. people in the villages, for example, in Afghanistan, they, they cannot read and write and they're my age, young people. Yeah, so they're happy... They can communicate, I think what Victor's saying, they can communicate with the people they need to know. So they are okay. They have a lot of potential that they might not yeah, be but, able but, to Matilda, come to you, their Someone potential. could say you have the potential to be the next Mrs. Elon Musk in the yeah. center of asylum. No, no. But you're not pushing to your thing. But yeah. who are we to say you must do that? That's what we're stressing here. Leave All right, we should define what education is. We Thank should define what education is because yeah, it's yeah, defined. I was going to say, how do we define education? And does education in one place um, mean the same as education in another place? And I want to bring in the topic of sustainable cities and communities. And I know, Simon, you've got some thoughts on this. Is it a priority in a country where there is no city, there's no infrastructure, um, there are no basic facilities? Is education a priority at that time or is infrastructure in a sustainable city a, a priority first um, or both? And if, if so, how do we strike a balance uh, between what is necessary in one part of the world in terms of education? Because Simon brought out 
Um, there are some parts of the world where the education that people have at the moment is not causing them to become good people. It's causing them to become greedy. It's causing them to become materialistic and corrupt. Whereas in other parts of the world, the lack of education means that they don't even have access to be to literacy, basic literacy in their own language. Simon, how do we strike a balance in education? And also, when is it time to focus on the cities and the infrastructure in the communities um, rather than more education. Before I answer that, I'll just tell you a quick story. I was with a very rich man when I was in Kenya, and he were there were there's British people, and they were set. They was in some arid land, and they were setting up, going to set up a new factory where this produces material that holds a lot of water that you put in the ground that helps the crops grow. And he's and he's talking to the villages, and he's talking about how they. You know, he can reorganize the way they live. And I said, Yeah, but have you noticed they're all spread out? They're not far from each other, but they're spread out. They all have their own pitch of farming and they don't have to worry about anything. He said, Would you? Yeah, but they can work in a factory, they'd be perfectly okay. I said, Isn't that a bit colonialistic? You've you've come here and you've decided that this piece of land and you want to do something, and you're gonna help them do something. So why I tell this story is you've got to look at the, the true motives behind why you want to educate people. And you've got to ask them, it's just like I watched the Afghan documentary, what do they really need? Do they really need that? And, and, you know, and then you take it from there. On the infrastructure side, I've lived, uh, like I lived in Kenya for many years, and I saw every road that built, Never had a pave. Sorry, in the city, I should stress the city I was in, in Mombasa, most roads that were built never had pavements, never had drainage put in. They just didn't. And then I saw the World Health come along and put drainage, but it's open drainage. That's just as bad as not having drainage anyway, because they get blocked and it just becomes a cesspool, open cesspool. So when you start to look at things, um, who should be doing the guttering? Infrastructure should be government, but obviously corruption plays a problem. Yeah, and all those kind of things. So it's a lot of a lot of questions you've asked there, but there's an element of the public helping themselves. If I build a house, my friend built a house, he has solar panels. He has solar panels all over the place. They they're not that expensive, but depending on how you live life, yeah, as in what you can afford, you've got to work your way up. But you do get those Chinese, thank God, thank God for the Chinese, these affordable little Chinese um, solar panel lights that you can put here and there. Because the British in their whole years of empire never produced that for the locals. But the Chinese have. Not to say the Chinese are all good, but there's those ways that Chinese have helped are helping Africa. Obviously, there's exploitation, but that's basically because of their own governments where they're failing the people. But... Yeah, overall, it's a case of the government's meant to do their things and the people are meant to help themselves. And then everything will move uh, surely. And yes, when it comes to education and infrastructure, what I did notice this, you can put, there's no point, if you're taking somebody who lives in a hut and putting them in a luxury house, you need to explain to them how to operate in that luxury house. Certain things you can't put down the drainage, certain things, all these things. And Britain used to have that. When they start to move people to council houses, they used to have education programs where they teach people how to live in these flats and how they're meant to be used. 
and we don't have that anymore because we assume everybody knows but we still got more more foreigners coming who don't know and you see rubbish and everywhere left places and things like that but back over to you carla okay matilda can we read some more of the comments we've got yes. lots of interaction we today. have a lot of them it's very good so akram i'm loving you akram this is very nice uh you should come to the show more often He's saying obstacles to achieving sustainable development can be divided into two parts. The first is involuntary, such as sudden natural disasters. The second part is the obstacles are human-made and related to their economic and political interest. And this is the section that needs to be reviewed and held accountable. Anders Cardell is saying the majority of the conflict around the world is about wealth and power for a few. Yeah. And Danielle, welcome back, Danielle. He's saying as we the grapple with this COVID-19 pandemic, many people globally have lost their lives, jobs, hence economic recession. What are mechanisms as an option for the UN to address in order to improve the lives of small macro enterprise businesses and hospitality industries apart from mass vaccination? Very good question. And they're saying the conflict in Afghanistan costs us taxpayers 300 million every day for 20 years. At the same time, we can't pay fair wages. Millions of children lack possibility to study. And then, uh, uh, Carla, go ahead. There's a lot of them, so. Yeah, we'll come back to some more comments later. Thank you all for your comments. We appreciate all of you. Howler, a lot of these things that we're talking about, they come down to the issue of well-being, don't they? And we know that well-being is one of those words that people, we say it and they're like, oh, well-being. But what do you think? What are your thoughts? How can we strike some balance? You're muted. <laughs> Well, if you see in, in, in developed countries, I mean, um, good health and well-being, it's it's better than the countries who face so much um, inequalities, like in African countries. Um, and I think what I researched more about, about the, the food and the well-being and the, how people could really have, like, for example, a healthy diet and uh, that was very interesting question that you have uh, given to me about if the GM, GM foods could stop hang, hunger. And I think it's, it could not because um, GM, GMOs can help to create uh, food options, but are they healthy? We don't know. Uh, and what we are seeing now more in developed countries, for example, um, uh, we have, for example, better access to food, and we have in poverty or in uh, in, uh, in in other countries, in developing countries, they have access to um, not they don't have access really to to the good quality of food. So um, I think as as individuals, we need to to improve to improve this kind of uh, of conditions by improving farming conditions, for example, uh, better use of water, reducing waste uh developing new ways to improve uh the life of people by taking care of nature uh that has an abundant supply of natural resources 
and uh, yeah, and also tax more industries who use GMOs food, <laughs> and uh, and tax less people who 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 are really using natural food and resources. So yeah, I think good health and well-being. I don't think that the SDGs indicators reflect. Um, reflect the reality but i think as individuals we can uh, we can try to work on this one great okay thank you for that because we're going to come back to that as well uh howler that comment about what we can do as individuals simon do you want to give a comment yeah because it's a lot of them it's coming a lot <laughs> so anders is saying 300 million per day every day for 20 years so he fixed the Thing. It's about the right and ability to education, Simon. Simon, listen to me. It's about to have the choice. <laughs> no one's. I agree with that, but I don't agree in people telling people you must be educated, otherwise you're not what you should be. Okay, and then Anders saying lack of education or extreme wealth leads to Trump voters, which is not good for the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have Sasha. So, Simon, you're not greedy. It means you're not educated. Is this, uh, this is a curious argument. So he's saying if you're not greedy, that means you're not educated. So this is what he's asking. No, no one said that. And Danielle is saying education is education, whether formal or informal. But education doesn't necessarily change the life of a person to a large extent. Education first. Always handwriting is so important. Thomas Doherty, thank you for coming back, Thomas. We love you. And then new comments are coming in. So, Carla, go ahead. I will gather them later. Yeah, okay. I wonder what well, your thoughts are on it. Um, well, around the say, world. Go, go ahead, Simon. Sorry. Just to, in response, I think... What, what we really need to do also is based on what Howlett said earlier is define well-being because when you look at a family or group of people who's to define what is well-being if you look at Americans they all got psychiatrists to live on pills I wouldn't say that's very much that's that's not very good real well-being but then you could go to a village somewhere in the world remote and they're just happy playing hunting doing what they're doing and I would argue that they have a lot of better well-being than they do in the states they're not stressed Interesting, very interesting comment. Thank you for that, Simon. Uh, Victor, one of the situations we see around the world, and I'll speak from an example here in the UK, we've seen the, the, a huge rise in the use of what we call food banks, which are charities that provide people with food. Um, and this is supposed to be one of the most developed countries in the world. And we actually we have a famous football player as well who's been running a campaign here, um, making sure that children get fed. And you wouldn't imagine that to be happening in a developed country. And, and what I'm thinking is I wonder what the world can learn from Africa and the way that Africa looks at and distributes and manages food. What are your thoughts on that? That's a very good question, Carla. Okay. Regards to food, in my opinion, is that now we we are now relying on because of it's still boiling down to anything because of storage units, processing, food processing. So it boils down to energy. Now we are relying on Chinese to like bring food. Africa spends like 
300 billion or 300 million. It's a huge amount every year just to import rice alone. So, the local production, it's just a mind, I don't know, it's a, maybe it's a mindset thing, or we need to market our stuff properly, market local stuff properly. But because of lack of processing, lack of food processing, we tend to have food for a day or two before they get spoiled. So, you see consumption level at a very, very not really high rate, but a kind of people, even people going into farming right now, it is not what it is supposed to be because of education. Everybody needs to come to the city. Nobody wants to have those informal um, training, informal education when it comes to farming. You don't want to learn how to farm practically, but you want to go to school to learn how the English, the English way, the, the Western way of farming, whereas you don't have the local tools to farm. You don't want to, you don't want to go and cultivate rice because you find out that if you go to school, there's no need for you to get your hands dirty. So I don't think there's something that, that, that the world needs to learn from Africa, but I think Africa should start looking into, into themselves on how to actually support farming the way England is supporting their farmers with with so many supports, so many palliatives for the farmers, so many write-offs, so many tax breaks and all those stuff for farmers. I think Africa should start looking towards helping farmers and make farming more sexy, like you know, like what they do in other parts of the world. If you make farming more sexy, I think there will be serious food. Um, I think you know there will not be that food shortage in Africa. I I would I, I would say to add to what Victor's saying, farming is sexy. It's just the big corporations, especially the Western ones, are taking over in Africa. And obviously, Nigeria had the situation with the oil boom, so a lot of people weren't interested in the farming again for one reason or another. And um, yeah, the Western companies should let Africa do their thing. And there is enough food. It's just not given to the right people. Uh, and then because if think of how much food our supermarkets show for away every day. There's more than yeah, there, is enough, there, there is enough food, but it's not because of lack of infrastructure. Again, to transport food from one, it is easy to transport food from China or from the UK. No, the UK don't have food. To transport food from China or India <laughs> to, to to Nigeria or to um, the west coast of Africa, than for you to transport food from say Nigeria to Morocco because yeah, of but, infrastructure, mm -hmm. the roads, yeah. no, the trains, no. That comes down to our governments, though. Our no, government in Africa, we need to start. Teaming. This is why I say about shutting the doors to the externals and sorting our problems domestically. Why is there not a ring road joining up all the countries in Africa? China yeah, is kind that, of doing it for us in the thing, so they should proposed. be. I think so, that's been proposed. That's been proposed. Yeah, no, China's doing that with the railways, um, and that's that's great. But we should have done that with our roads. Sankara did that. Um, they built uh, before the French assassinated him. 
he built the National Railway in four months. He got all the people out there with pots and pans and they built it. It can be yeah, done because, easily. Because the previous previous government, previous just to just take on the previous government or that have been installed by the West, they've been told that they're not like good enough, they're not like intellectually capable enough of running their own system. So they have to like rely on everything Western. If it doesn't come from White or it doesn't come from what's it called? The White House, it doesn't make sense. So you need to have approval from 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 here we go again with the wish list. You need to have approval from the US or or Whitehall to actually West Westminster to actually do something in your own backyard. Kick him out. Okay. okay, we have a lot of comments, guys. So I'm gonna read, okay? <laughs> Sasha is saying you're not a man just because you're living, but because you've become one. People call that education. Otherwise, you will just be a victim and a slave about your emotions. Interesting point, Sasha. Anders is saying, the issue that Simon made touching is the problem with what's in Sweden called academization, okay? Meaning that people's place is current hierarchies are based on academic results which creates a little uh which creates a risk of societies where people that doesn't have certain academic degrees tend to be belittled and then akram is saying the solution to the dispute between simon and matilda i guess this is a big issue about our education um lies in the concept of literacy it is not only about the inability to read and write, but the lack of human awareness of what is going on around him. Akram? I think we should love you. I love you more. I think we should have a bell on something for a point like this. You don't ring the bell. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one I'm going to read, and I give it to you, Carla. <laughs> <laughs> Anders is saying, Anders Cardell is saying, make tax havens illegal. Back to you, Carla. We have more okay. to read. Anders, you have, you have really strong viewpoints against the corporation and the elites. I don't know why, but you can't tax Chinese goods because they are the factory of the world. If you tax them for compensation, hmm, there's going to be another pandemic. Trust me. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. So I want to go back to that comment that Akram put on, and I would like to connect that. Simon, I know that you've got some information about water, and you, this comment here about the lack of human awareness. So we've had lots of uh, situations, lots of stories. Um, it depends where you get your news from, but there are lots of stories of accounts in Africa and other parts of the world where people have been coming up with their own solutions not connected to the UN, um, there's solutions to do with water, there's solutions to do with how to manage farming and things like that. Simon, have you got any comments around uh, water? Um, yeah, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you a small clip of video and then I will comment on the, oh, I'll, I'll give you an explanation wise. This is a village based in Kenya. And he's called Mr. Mullen, and it's actually called Mr. Mullen Foundation. He's a, a very religious man, and he believed that he, 
he was kicked out from his family as well his family abandoned him from the village he lived in at eight years old he managed to make his way to the capital Nairobi get educated and then he started to become do business and business and business um, and he became very successful and very wealthy he had a monopoly on transportation and all the other things and then he decided to sell everything and go back to the street and start helping all the little orphans because there's a big slum in Nairobi, which um, this is the capital, called Kibera, where it's 2.5 million people live there, and there's 100,000 orphans roaming around the street. So he started to take them up, and this is what he started. So I'm going to play this for you, and it's only it's very short, and just we'll take it from there. We can't hear the sound on it, Simon. Oh, sorry, sorry. One second, sorry about that. So I've had it on your headphones. Apologies. You hear that now? Yeah. water purification system was set up and from that there was a water tower that was was constructed and this was able to supply water uh, not only to the children but also we got water also for the use in the farm and uh, that's where it began and over a period of time the number of children grew all the way to more than a couple of hundreds to to a thousand and the the, the need to feed the children was very high and dad was thinking on how to be self-sustaining and, and that's where the, the farming part really took a different uh, turn. The idea of us being able to be self-reliant was a very paramount uh, aspect of how uh, my father was viewing the entire project. You know, people in Africa, in Kenya, they all, even the government, they depend on donation from the Western world. And then I always feel like, what can we do as Africans to change that attitude? My father noticed that and started to think through how we could do something differently to be able to complement the donations that we were having. Because I used to beg, you know, <laughs> a beggar has got no choice. I, that's something I hated. And for that reason, I said I would never beg. And then I kept on thinking, how can we build a project that would be self-sustaining? As we began, we said with the one hectare outdoor with oxen, now to 500 acres using a tractor. And right now, as we're seated here, we're looking at crops that are growing so well production is so many times the conventional outdoor production. We're able to sell excess that we produce from here in the European market so that we can have some income to sustain Willie Children's family. Then in 2003, we got to design a hydroponic system, which is a greenhouse covering about 600,000 square feet. So the 
Okay, so that, can you all hear me? I think you can all hear me. Moving along, that is Mr. Mully Foundation. He's actually looked after 18,000 orphans. 18,000. That's a lot of orphans. I come from children's homes, so that's very, very dear to my heart. But the more, just as important, I wouldn't say more important, he's built an irrigation system. The land he took was barren. That land is fertile now, but it was barren. He prayed to God and he found a, a, a well area where, he, where they dug down his all, they cracked through a hard rock and the water became. And this is what he's managed to build a massive greenhouse system um, helping helping his children because it's called the Mr. Mully Foundation because they all see him as a father. He's got, what, nine children anyway, his biological children, but plus the 18,000 children. It's a big old family and he feeding them even when Kenya was at civil war in 2007. So my attitude is if if we have even a hundred people more like him, it sets an example and Africa can really become something in that respect. And it's not just about Africa, it's about an attitude that I'm going to help myself. And if you notice, I'm not going to depend on the government of my country and I'm not going to depend on international aid. I'm going to do something where I can always have my say. And he actually took, he built that place in that arid, in a no man's land, where it takes miles to get there. I just want to answer Simon to so about... No one can bother him or say anything. And that's just, just want... great. Um, if you can see, I'm going to post the link in on the comment section. I suggest you all watch this. It's like an hour and 12 minutes, but it's a really good, powerful watch. I'm not an emotional guy. But this, I had to fight. <laughs> I had to fight when I was watching this. But back over to you, Carla. Oh, yeah, yeah you, I'm Carla. going to add a comment and then Matilda's going to read Can't out the you, audience. Carla. Yeah, I just want to add what Simon was saying about uh, that really? African man. He, he has a great leadership and a great vision. And actually, uh, Africa is not that bad because if you see uh, Rwanda, for example, they kicked the French out and they had enjoyed a very strong economic growth rate. They create new business. They lift people out of poverty and they have a lot of um, things to offer, like mining, tar tourism, coffee and tea and a lot of natural resources they have. And when actually when you go there, you see that the people on the street, they don't look rich but the city and the country looks wealthy. So when you reduce the inequalities and you have a good leadership in your, in your country, uh, it will be developed. Back to you, Kong. Uh, Matilda, we've got lots of comments coming in. Yes, I'm going to read a couple of them and then get back to you. Uh, so Thomas Doherty, uh, welcome back. We love having you here. It says, learning is great. Yes. And then Anders uh, Cardell is saying, Americans, Simon, Americans. And then Anders Cardell is saying, stop tax heavens and other theft, then you don't need charities. Danielle is saying something interesting. Education is a process of acquiring knowledge and skills, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it uh, unlocks the lives of individuals. There are many people in the world who are illiterate but have become successful in business. They're illiterate, sorry. 
Therefore, our environment is not restrictive, but accommodates everyone depending on one's personal engagement in livelihood. Very true, Dania. And Anders is saying, some people say it's expensive to feed the poor. That's nothing in comparison to what it costs to feed the extremely rich. And there's more other comments. Uh, Carla, I'm going to let you continue a little bit and then we come back. Okay, so let's get into a little bit of a discussion as we wind down about solutions. So we saw from that example that Simon shared about how um, we can just start something. And if you watch the film, what happens in the film is he just starts with one orphan. One orphan is taken in and then uh, after a number of years of just persisting and taking in more and more orphans and overcoming hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, it just became a huge project. And it was very inspiring to watch because it made you realize that we all can do something. Um, and all we have to do is to stop complaining, I guess, stop looking to huge organizations, but start to look at ourselves. So I wanted to ask all of us come from uh, different backgrounds and we have had different privileges in our lives, but we've also had different hardships. And I wanted to ask just to, to get into this discussion, what would you be prepared to give up in terms of privileges at this stage as an individual um, to be able to make the world a better place. Let's start with you, Matilda. What would you give up from your um, current lifestyle? Um, I will stop using, I mean, I try to use limited plastics, but I would like to stop more and uh, more cautious with the energy and water. Um, I love taking long um showers um i don't know what else i can do i mean maybe i can start or not now but in my process of thinking maybe have a, a startup that can gear more women so i can um have more women empowered in positions i think that's what i have to do i don't know i have to think about it more but these are things that i'm gonna think right now thank yeah, well, that's where it starts. We all start thinking about it. Victor, what about you? Maybe you're already up to some stuff <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, yeah, maybe I should be more, you know, more grateful for the privilege that I have to, to be able to see both sides, have different perspective about, about life and living, and be more grateful about that. And also... Yeah, the opposite of Matilda, to have more men in leadership to, like, you know, do what's supposed to be done. Yeah, that's what I'll do. And Howler, what about you? Well, I think everyone needs to start somewhere, and I think I'm going to start by practicing healthy diet first, donate extra food to, and follow uh, a food plan when you when you shop because uh, you won't uh, get any extra food goes to waste uh, and also maybe volunteer into some kind of humanitarian humanitarian actions uh, with with people in need and i think when you influence uh, when you have a really good uh, healthy lifestyle you will influence the people around you and people also around you will be better so maybe when you improve your life, you could improve the lives of people around you too. So it's a win-win situation. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Simon, what do you think? Well, I can tell you what I've done so far. When I had my businesses in Africa, I had a gym. And like I said, I came from children's homes and I found out through the customers that there's a lot of orphans in Mombasa. And so I made a point every weekend for nearly two years to make sure all the orphans from these two orphanages, about 300 every day for Saturday and Sunday, could come there and get free fitness and free and just help. And then I started to sponsor a street kid. It turns out it's, it's one of 10, but they lived in a bad conditions in some real bad mother. And I started to sponsor his education and things like that. But what I've subsequently from that, I started a community interested interest company called Aspire Youth Africa. And um, my the aim is to do trade awareness training and health health for youth in Africa. And um, with that, sending over clothes and other things and just working out like that. Because I was put into care from six months and somebody helped me and I can only pay it back. And if I can pay it back a thousand times, that's what I aim on doing. And that's been my goal for for three to four years now. Okay, and to our audience, I'd like to ask you the same thing. So what can you do to make the world a better place? And while you're sending that in as your final comment, um, Matilda, can you read some more of the comments for us? Yes. Well, Simon, it seems like you have fancier. Thomas Storty saying, Simon, great words. That's the truth about well-being. Nothing beats happiness, no matter where you are or what you will, what you know. I learned that from my mom. Big love all day, every day. Thank you, Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> Anders is saying nude farmers. <laughs> I think this is in response to making farming more sexy that Victor said earlier. <laughs> And then he's saying, China will bring a ring road and demand tax for the ones using it. And Akram, again, uh, made us very happy with a beautiful comment. He's saying, another bright side in today's episode is if we want to get good results, we must raise the ceiling of expectations. This is what Carla indicated in her question about well-being at a time when most of the world's people are suffering from famine, economic problems, and others. And I'm gonna read, China is offering quick loans to Africa leaders and regular people will be the ones paying those loans. I want to get back to you, Carla, because there's more comments coming in. So I, I just want to jump in there for Anders. As we've discussed this many times before in Africa, it's the leaders who sign the deals. It's the leaders who take the backhand. It's not all of them are bad. Jamaica, for instance, as I would argue, it's a part of Africa in many respects. Um, they turned down three deals from China until the fourth one was more appropriate for their interests. So you don't have to take bad deals. Not saying Jamaica's perfect, but you can reject deals that aren't in your people's interest. Back to you, Carla. Yeah, um, and actually I want to pick up on some of the answers that we've got in the audience about what you will give up because now we're talking about solutions. So I think we've we've had a look at the UN um, Sustainable Development Goals and we've concluded in general that they are very optimistic. They're more of a 
um, an idealistic um, view of how things could be, but we know we've got lots of steps to go through to get there. Um, so now we're talking about what we can do as individuals, what we can do in our local community. And we know we've got some comments coming in from you, our audience, about these things. So Matilda, can we have more of those? Yes, Danielle is saying Africa is a continent with a continent with the great opportunities, a sustainable environment. But what allies the economic growth of, um, of African countries is impunity mediocrity and corruption. I agree with Simon on a couple of issues affecting African countries. Uh, Anderson is saying um, that Simon did great things in Kenya. The youth that could train in his gym for free is slaying in the competitions. Very nice. I, I, just to jump in there, Andrew Anders was a good part of it. He was the actual black belt in the martial arts. <laughs> so he was he's actually chaining. I just funded everything. But anyway, back to you, Matilda. And Anders is saying something very important. He's saying, uh, to save energy, I've given up unnecessary anger and aggression. <laughs> Maybe some people in this world should be modeling this. Yeah, with the energy, we need that. Give up anger and, and aggression. Yes. And then Anders is saying, I will give up car. Already done. There is good transportation alternative here through Kenya. Well, I think he talks about in Sweden. Kenya, though, me to give up plastic bags. Wow. Wow, thank you, Matilda, and thank you to all for all your comments. So we've got lots of things that are happening there, and that's the key point, is to think about what you can do to solve things. So over to my co-hosts now for some final comments and tell us about your podcast. Victor? Yeah, the Diaspora Entrepreneurs Podcast. Um, you can find me anywhere. We talk about strategies and success stories. We are on Spotify, um, YouTube, um all major platforms check us out that's for entrepreneurs podcast over to you Hala. thanks victor so my podcast is Women's stories podcast check out new episode this uh, week uh about how you can uh, level up your business uh so tune in it's in all podcast platforms uh over to you matilda uh and my podcast is about um Finding Yourself, Loving Yourself. Uh, it's Coffee with Matilda, Journey to Self. And you can find it on all um, podcast platforms, Facebook and YouTube. And Simon? Thank you. Uh, Simon Rushton, my podcast is Taxi Chronicles. All We pu publish every day at 8 a.m. Just wild, interesting intellectual stories of all kind of manners, from crime to murder to politics to whatever, entrepreneurship. Very interesting and short, five to 20 minutes long. Back to you, Carla. And my podcast is the Wonder and Wellbeing podcast, which which is a podcast for parents and teachers and anyone who's interested in topics where education and well-being overlap. 
So today we've learned a lot about the UN Sustainable Development Goals. We've learned a lot about all the issues that we face in the world and what we can do to solve them. And we would like to encourage you to do whatever you can in your local community to make the world a better place. You don't; It doesn't have to be huge. We saw from the example about the movie Molly, which we recommend to you. We'll post the link for it here, that you can start with one child, one, one thing, one uh, step, and grow from there and do whatever you can. We'd like to thank all of you here that commented, uh, Anders, uh, Akram, Imar, and all of you, we can't mention all of your names, but to all of you who joined us today, we are really thankful that you're with us. We loved your comments. We love your interaction. Um, and we'd encourage you that if you liked this episode, if you felt like it was beneficial, please share it with whoever you think can benefit from it. And um, don't forget to subscribe and to support our workers podcasters. We appreciate you. We love having you with us every week. And we hope that you have a great week. We hope we see some improvements globally in the coming week and that you join us again next time here on Podcasters Unleashed at 7 p.m. Uh, British Standard Time every Monday here on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, bye. Bye. Okay. We're still live, guys. <laughs>